While central banks around the world go back to their inflation bias, which never really leaves them, we have to wonder about what's going on in the banking system because some alarming statistics from the Federal Reserve, along with more and more anecdotes from inside the credit system, inside the commercial real estate system, suggest this thing is still going and it's still going strong, even if we're not talking about the next bank failure after First Republic, at least not just yet. The story was published by Bloomberg, which you got to read. I mean, I'm going to have to read it to Mr. Stephen Meter here and to you, the members of the audience, because this one's potentially a big one. Howard Hughes Corp., the Texas-based real estate developer that counts hedge fund manager Bill Ackman as its chairman, is struggling to find viable financing for new apartment projects as lenders pull back. Chief Executive Officer David O'Reilly said he reached out to dozens of lenders for a pitch for a new idea, a new project in the Woodlands, a master planned community in the Houston era, whose Houston area, zero showed up and gave me a bid, he said. I talked to 48 of them. That was always going to be the economic spillover from the banking crisis. As liquidity, deposit flight, bank failures, bank failures are just the most extreme example, but as the banking crisis continued to impact banks, quite naturally, the survivors would say, I don't want to be the next one. And to avoid being the next one means a couple things. The lessons of Bear Stearns. It means building up a cash cushion, building up a collateral cushion. And it also means de-risking. And we just got an anecdote from Texas, which said, Mr. Van Meter, oh, that's a lot of de-risking there. 48 banks saying, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to show up to hear a pitch on what sounds like a reasonable project. Yeah, Jeff, this is, you know, when we talk about tightening lending standards, a lot of people, they, they don't see it because it's not like, you know, we go out and get loans every day where we can actually see a measurable difference. Someone might you know buy a house, but not buy another one for seven, eight, 10 years. So they don't, they don't notice the incremental changes, but this is a perfect example. I mean, the fact that you would have what could be a very good project could be a potentially profitable project and get no offers. You know, you kind of mentioned that banks need to kind of hoard cash here, build up their buffer. What I'm wondering is if deposit outflows are still happening. We still see money market, you know, outflow or builds coming out of the banking system. I don't think the banks have any margin for error here. I think they would love to lend. I think I bet you those 40 some banks, if you really pulled them aside and said, look, would you like to lend on that project? They would, oh, absolutely. At these interest rates, are you crazy? We would love it. They can't. And so here we're seeing, you know, we talk about tightening lending standards. Here's a real world example of it happening. And of course, we look at the catalyst of it. It all comes back to the yield curve. And a lot of people don't understand, like, how does the yield curve predict this? Well, when it's inverted, what do we learn from banks? They don't want to lend. They don't have the capacity to lend. They don't have the ability to lend. And yet here we're seeing it. Yeah, And they're also, as you mentioned, Steve, the uh, they're also still experiencing funding difficulties, which, I mean, in the grand scheme of thing, if you're trying to run a bank, there's a couple of things that come before even your basic lending business, right? You have to stay afloat. You have to stay solvent. So if you're experiencing deposit flights, if you're experiencing trouble in obtaining funding in, in other terms, whether wholesale markets or issuing debt, you set aside everything. You don't, I mean, it, forget lending. You just have to make sure you have enough funds and enough enough of a cushion in your funds in case the deposit, the migration gets a little bit more severe again, you, lending is the last thing you're ever going to do here. And what the, the Federal Reserve reported this week was another record high 
in its brand new four letter program, the BTFP, surging by more than six and a half billion dollars just this week alone. It is now over a hundred billion. So for many people, including central banks around the world, probably central bankers here in the United States, the banking crisis is over. It was successfully dealt with by, among other things, these tools. However, if it was over, we wouldn't see a rising balance in the main bailout program. What we would see is the market starting to normalize, banks starting to normalize their behavior because they're more than confident they can obtain funds in the regular ways that they normally do. Absolutely, Jeff. And this is, you know, we're not seeing the banks on the headline news. We're not seeing people react to any sort of banking news. We know there's some de-risking. We're hearing some banks talking about cutting back uh, out of their commercial mortgage-backed security portfolios and things like that. But you've got it spot on here. You know, the mainstream media is not even touching the fact that there's more and more money being borrowed out of this Fed program, which is a sign of stress in the system. I mean, it's so obvious because what should be happening, we see this at the discount window in particular, there's a big worry, there's a flood of borrowing, and that borrowing may stay around for a few weeks or maybe even a couple of months, depending on the severity of the situation. And then what do you see? Payback, payback, payback. And then you get down to relative normal levels and you start to find out, hey, there's some hemorrhaging over here, but it's, you know, it's isolated. In this case, we're still seeing deposit flight. We're still seeing you know, the usage of these programs go up. It only tells you is what's going to actually happen as the economy slows down even further. Where are these banks going to be? They, they have no margin for error. It almost, Jeff, you kind of makes you wonder, is the Fed and some other agencies, are they going to have to come up with more money ways to inject money in the bank? Because I don't know how many other ways they could do it short of taking them over. That's what I think, you know, the big point here is that we're still early in this thing. It's not it's not that it's over. It's that we're just we're in the, the middle innings where we're, we're the early innings where we're switching sides and everybody's just kind of milling around on the field here because, yeah, we don't have another First Republic in the news, but that doesn't mean that everything has normalized. And that's really the key here. The standard isn't that we don't have bank failures to, to report in the mainstream media. The standard here. Is the banking system going back to a normal standard operating procedure? That means not borrowing from the Fed, not borrowing from federal home loan banks in emergency fashion. It means showing up at these pitch meetings and at least putting in a bid because this is a juicy opportunity. So our standard is, can we evaluate the banking system from the perspective of, is it getting better? Not that is or we're not seeing any more failures. And everything that I'm seeing, not just the BTFP, there's actually a whole bunch of other stuff in the market, the global marketplace that suggests even more strain that's coming right now. But either way, the, the goal here is to get the banking system to go back to the way it was, not in early part of this year, but maybe early part of 2022 in 2021. And there, Everything that we see apart from bank failures themselves is moving in the opposite direction. Banks are becoming more defensive, not less defensive. They're going more to the Fed, not less. As you mentioned, Steve, money market funds are still seeing inflows because depositors are still migrating away from them. And it's not because of interest rates. There's other problems here too, which I mean, as we see the com banks avoiding commercial real estate projects means it's going to be more difficult for commercial real estate projects. And it's going to be more difficult for commercial real estate projects that are in trouble. They have no buyers, which means 
eventually we get into these fire sale situations that unleashes and triggers the worst part of all of the crisis mechanics. And that may be, by the way, what the banks are waiting for. Maybe they can see it coming and saying, I'm just going to step out and get out. I'm going to step out of the road while that that, uh, massive uh, truck is barreling down toward me. I'm not going to I'm not going to jump in front of that thing. You know, Jeff, I don't think the banks can get out of the way of this one. And, and I'll tell you why, because they, they're holding, we know these small and mid-sized regional banks are holding a ton of commercial real estate loans. I mean, they, I mean, compared to the big five, uh, four or five banks out there, the, the minor compared to what these small and mid-sized regional banks hold. And we know that a lot of these loans are coming due this year and next year, and property values are already starting to decline. I mean, we're seeing some fire sales on buildings. Now, I've had some people tell me, ah, well, comparables don't matter so much in commercial real estate. Cash flow does. Okay, fine. Cash flow is really bad too because people aren't using office space. Look, pick whatever metric you want. The banks know that they're going to be facing a write-down situation on this, and they don't have the margin. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm saying, I don't think they could survive this, Jeff. And I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they're just going to stand in front of the train long enough and hope the Fed just slams on the brakes at the last minute. And and maybe there's a, you know, a, a hallelujah pass down the middle field and a touchdown score. I don't know how they get out of this. But when I look at all the numbers, I'm frightened for them. And I think they see it too. I think what everybody's waiting for, not just the banking system, but manufacturers, uh, employers, everybody's waiting for, okay, we had a little bit of a rough time in the first half of 2023. You got a little bit of a recession in Europe and China's reopening. Well, that you know that didn't go as well as we thought. But the second half of the year, we're going to get right back to business as usual. And I wonder if how much how much of that thinking has infected bank boardrooms as well as corporate boardrooms thinking the second half of the year is going to bail us out. It will fix all our problems. After all, economists and central bankers. They say, well, you know, even though we, if the U.S. might have a mild recession in the second half, but that'll actually be good. That'll actually help us in our inflation fight. We won't have higher interest rates to worry about. Any number of factors that suggest or that you can rationalize to yourself and say, OK, it wasn't it wasn't fun in the first half of 2023. But the second half, we're going to be moving in the right direction if we can just get there. We just have to survive the next week, the next month in order to get to the, the by the summer and the fall, everything should be turning around. And then if we survive this next period, everything will be fine. But in order to survive this next period, banks have to do things that are going to ensure the second half rebound doesn't actually happen. So from a micro scale perspective, you're thinking, well, I'm just going to survive, which means I'm not going to lend. I'm not going to do anything in my balance sheet. But from a macro perspective, that basically ensures that there won't be a second half rebound because it's not just one bank or two banks. As the article said, it was at least 48 banks in Texas and however however many dozens more. Yeah, Jeff, and this is a big problem because we can go back to the last senior loan officer opinion survey or the SLUs report. And usually this is a you know a look back report. And, and it's kind of intended to be that way to say, hey, over the last quarter, we, you know, we we tightened or we loosened lending standards, and here's kind of what we thought of it. What I thought was very interesting about the last report. It was kind of one of the, and you'll know more than I do because, but it was one of the first reports I've ever seen where they said, look, we actually think we're going to be tightening lending standards through the end of the year. And that's not something you, you almost never hear kind of a prediction about. 
And that's what's interesting because, again, I come back to it's always been used. Oh, it's just a look back. It's a look back. Yeah, it tells us what we know. But the fact that they're seeing this and then you start looking at the yield curves and seeing all these inversions just all over the place, it's telling you there's stress in the banking system. There's a reason the banks don't want to lend right now. They'd love to because it's their business model. They'd be insane not to. They're just, I don't think, Jeff, they're sure how they're going to survive maybe the next couple months or quarter. And the moment we get one more failure, it's not going to take much. One more bank that starts to hemorrhage, then you watch lights out. The feds, they are going to panic. They're going to go back to zero. Who knows what else they're going to do because, well, they don't even know at this point. But it's going to be bad because there won't be anything out there to stop it. And I wonder, Steve, I'm going to ask you this question, too sort of out of left field. I wonder if, you know, the the rate hikes that we see in Canada and Australia, those are, I mean, the Canadians and Australia both said, well, you know, we're more worried about the fact that, that consumer prices aren't coming down as fast as we'd like. We both believe that the consumer price problem has peaked and we're past the, the peak of, of consumer price increase rates. But we think that, you know, by and large, the global economic, the, this financial turmoil, the banking crisis has seems to have been contained. So, them, them going back to raising rates after a two-month pause sort of makes sense from their own limited perspective. But I wonder, if we get a rate hike from the Fed here uh, next week and the ECB too, to a certain extent, how much of that is agreeing with Canada and Australia or how much of that is like in March? Remember the Fed raised rates in March. How much of that is just pretending that everything is fine? Pretending, just going along and saying, we're not worried about a banking crisis in public and then in private saying, holy crap, we got to make sure that this thing doesn't get out of control. In one way that it could get out of control, if, if the Fed suddenly changes course and starts to send off a whole bunch of panicky signals and says, you know, we're really worried about this banking crisis, too. We can't raise rates. So I wonder how much of this rate hike stuff, at least in the Federal Reserve, is less about actual consumer prices and economic resilience and more about just just playing it straight here just making sure that we don't rock the boat too much. And since we've backed ourselves into the corner of always being worried about consumer prices going up, maybe we have to raise rates just to make sure that things don't get out of control. Yeah, Jeff. And I think this next meeting, I think there's one of two probable outcomes here because they're either going to tighten and you know one a minor hike, a quarter basis point, and then act like, okay, we're really going to start looking at the data coming forward. They're going to, they're going to have to act like this was kind of the last twist. Or they're going to say, hey, you know what? We're pausing here only because we just want to make sure the data is consistent. But don't worry, next meeting, uh, we're, we're pretty much leaning towards it. I think they have to buy into their own narrative because you're right. The, if the Fed came out and said, hey, look, we're pausing, likely pausing now for the cycle or maybe even thinking about cutting, all of a sudden market panic. And a lot of people don't think that. They go, oh, that would be good for the market. No, it means the Fed's starting to admit that they know something you don't know. And then you're going to start getting all this look back into the banks again. And everyone's going to say, wait a minute, maybe there's a problem because why isn't the media picking up this, this BTFP program or whatever it's called, why is it still being used? Why is this an issue? Somebody should be raising some red flags here and saying, look, there's major problems in the bank and maybe it's caused by rate hikes. Maybe it's not. All we know is, is the Fed aware of this? And they're acting as if they don't care because, you know, this reminds me of Hurricane Ian, Jeff. When it came through Florida, it was the first time I was here and here it comes and it, you could see the wind swirling and it went right over where I live. But when you're right in the middle of it, and I'd never been in one, man, it was so calm and so peaceful. 
If you closed your eyes, you didn't know what was coming next. And I think that's the problem with the Fed. We're in the middle of the storm now, and they've just got their eyes closed. Yeah, it's interesting because other parts of the market, like you just mentioned, Steve, are saying, yeah, this, I mean, we saw repo fails up over 300 billion again, which is a key indicator of stress in the collateral system. So parts of the markets are continuing to break down. It's a huge amount of securities borrowed from the Federal Reserve window, which is another key sign of stress there. But then on the other side, Steve, stock market's in a bull, bull run here. We've got a bull market in New York Stock Exchange. So obviously this is all just a big nothing. Um, bank failures, BTFP, doesn't matter to stock market investors because second half rebound, it's actually going to happen. Yes, of course, because what what do we know that market participants think that is causes stocks to go up? Rate cuts until it's the wrong kind of rate cuts. And the next thing you know, you've got a whole bunch of bag holders. Uh, unfortunately, at least what we're seeing in the labor market, we know it's initial claims ticked up a little bit, 261,000. Look, the trend is going the wrong way here. Um, really, what we need to see is robust labor market. We need to see wage growth. We need to see lending growth. And and sad to say, Jeff, and I know we're not, we don't want this to happen, but boy, the, the arrows of the monetary winds here are not pointing in the right direction. That is a perfect way to end this, Steve. It's the trends. We should see, in at least in the banking system, the trend should be pointing in the right, the positive direction. It's not. It's it, All of it is pointing continued in the wrong direction. And it's not just not just the banking system either. We're getting all of these economic data points. I just mentioned and did a video yesterday on China's PPI at a new new negative level, the lowest since 2016, the biggest negative since 2016. It's the trend, Steve. You're exactly right. The trends are moving in the wrong direction, and there are more and more moving that way rather than less and less. So I think that's a good way to end it. 48 banks didn't want to invest in the uh, Howard Hughes. So as always, Steve, thank you very much for joining me. See you again next week. Thanks, Jeff. All right. I'm saying, done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking right here. <laughs> yeah, all right. How, how did you guys know to end the show? Well, Steve froze. <laughs> <laughs>